0: guys welcome to the higher points um tonight we got a special guest on uh derek plouts i said that right correct correct okay um he's a former uh police chief from sterling kansas and you know i I actually don't know a whole lot about you so i'm gonna just let you uh fire away and give us your life story let's hear it (laughs) how are we starting with that nate
1: (laughs) like he said uh former chief of police of sterling kansas uh for that, I uh, was in a couple different agencies in Kansas, and law enforcement was the undersheriff for the Haskell County Sheriff's Office uh, just prior to my four-year tenure as chief at Sterling. And uh, back in June, I guess I decided, I don't know, I'm still trying to decide. I think it might have been a uh, midlife crisis. I don't know. Um, made a career change completely, uh, jumped lanes, went to work for a inmate communication company, and have been doing that since June, so...
2: What what is inmate communication like? So, what does the company do?
1: So, our company it's called Crown Correctional Telephone Company. It's based out of Clifton, Texas. Uh, we got a partner company also called Sterling Commissary. My wife describes that to you know the people that aren't in law enforcement don't understand jails as Amazon for jails. So yeah, basically, anything that sense. inmates can order into jail, we provide those. We ship those products in. Uh, also, do the inmate telephones, which is obviously a, a different market because they're one way phone calls. Uh, no incoming calls, uh, obviously got to have recording software in place to record those calls. Also do video visitation and messaging, which has obviously blown up pretty big since COVID and the reduction of on-site, you know, family visits and stuff.
2: Have you guys done any of the, uh, the video court stuff at all or is it just the visitation? We
1: do. Um, to my knowledge, none of my clients actually utilize that. Um, I believe we're doing it so a lot of people have heard about the Lone Star Project down in Texas with the border, with those temporary facilities they're putting in down the border. We've actually got the contract with the state of Texas on that, so we're putting, I believe, video magistrate in.
2: No, just to kind facilities. of facilitate making that easier without mm-hmm. having to move people as much. Yep, correct. Yeah. We'll kind of go back into the beginning, like where did, where did you grow up? Siblings, you know, law enforcement's kind of been a part of your life for as long as you can remember.
1: That. Yeah, um, actually, I, I can't remember a life without it. Uh, growing up, my dad was a self-employed uh, construction contractor. Um, when I was young, I grew up uh, with a perfectionist dad who specialized in, in roofing and drywall um i learned how to use a lot of pitchforks up on roofs but he was such a perfectionist i never learned to swing a hammer i think i was (laughs) 25 we were living out in Sublette, and we're finishing my basement my dad was that guy you know we're hanging drywall and he could do that you know that three swing hammer perfect drive of a nail into drywall and leave just that perfect divot in the in the drywall and i'm swinging five times and leaving a giant hole in the wall and (laughs) you know, I looked at dad at that time. I said, you know, if you would have let me pick up a hammer before I was 25, I could probably do this, but uh, <laughs> I'm behind the curve right now. But, uh, no, he, uh, he was doing that. Um, like he said, my dad was one of those guys. He went into law enforcement later in life. He was, I think maybe 32 years old before he went full-time into law enforcement. I
2: never knew that. I always thought that was just kind of as long as you could remember. Yeah. Kind of thing.
1: No, he, uh, I was in middle school and my dad graduated, I think middle school when my dad graduated the police academy. He, uh, new chief of police came into Ellsworth. Dad's brother is a retired captain on the highway patrol and they were obviously close and dad always kind of had an interest in it. But coming out of high school, he went to work, started doing construction trade jobs, uh, got into that market and just kind of rolled with it. Um, at one point his boss told him they were going to retire and tells all of his foremen, you guys need to figure out who's going to start taking off and doing your own thing. And, and dad was one of them. Dad had a couple guys approach him and said, you know, if you open your own company, we'll come to work for you. And, and they rolled that way for a long time. Well then, you know, people started having families and moving on and needing jobs with better benefits than construction was offering, at least back then. And, new chief of police comes to town he offers dad you know talking to him over coffee he says you know why don't you come to work part-time we got some shifts to cover so he went to the two-week academy did that for a while and and eventually long story short he ended up uh going to work full-time for Ellsworth Police Department was eventually uh, a five-term sheriff there in Ellsworth County so had two brothers neither one of them had any interest in going into law enforcement uh I was that kid in fourth grade that we wrote a paper and asked what we wanted to do when we grew up, and I was the one that had it in my blood.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and just to, again to give listeners a uh, uh, little bit of background, there's the two week academy is for part time officers, so and they can only work what four fifteen hundred fifteen hundred hours a year, a thousand nine
1: hundred ninety
2: nine. Okay, so okay. N- under a thousand hours, yeah. yeah, a year. So. You still have all the same law enforcement powers, all the same duties and everything. You can only work up to 999 hours in a year, and that's the two-week academy. Yep. So that's what the part-time certification like is in Kansas. So um, what was it like? I mean, I know you have some interesting stories of when you were a kid when your dad was sheriff, but what was it like being the sheriff's kid? yeah it We're was the not kid. easy it was not easy <laughs>
0: probably didn't get away with much huh you
1: definitely lived in that glass house i could i could <laughs> incriminate myself on some stories i did get away with some stuff <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I happen to know a few stories we had know. a we had a young
1: officer in town and and uh long story short there was a, a typical river party and and i was at it and I got away with it for a long time. I was probably, I think, 17 years old at the time. I went into law enforcement later on in in life, and and one of the girls that I ran with at that party that night and was hiding with ended up in my dad's facility for for other things. And dad comes walking by, and she makes some comment about, I got something I need to come clean with you, or come clean to you about. And... and, uh, she said, I've always felt guilty. I was one of them that ran from you that night, and everybody laughed. And she goes, i got something else to come clean about. And Dad said, what's that? She goes, I ran with Derek.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and didn't you say that got played later on for you yeah, to Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that they, they'd yeah. known it for a long time yeah. and finally let well, you Well, actually,
1: everything. it wasn't that long. I was already in law enforcement before they figured it out. I was 21 years old working for the Thomas County Sheriff's <laughs> Office. So the statute of limitations had, had expired on that before – They actually found out, but I can tell you there was a young officer on the PD the next weekend that actually stopped me and and chewed into me because he'd already heard about it. But somehow, you know, he was also a cop's kid, so he understood that life. Yeah.
2: Well, so so it's where did you where did you start law enforcement?
1: I started with the Thomas County Sheriff's
2: Office. Okay, so up in Colby, I would say that that area is notorious for. Like seizures, is that? Yeah. I mean, that's is that kind of what your bread and butter was while you were there?
1: I was actually, I was young. I started out. I was twenty years old working in the jail when I started out up there. I went to the academy when I was twenty one, and uh, I was already. It's one of those deals. Man, it was a great place to work. Uh, I learned a lot up there. I had a very old school sheriff who's since passed away, but I got to really learn those old school ways of of doing things. That was that was fun to learn that and see those that older generation. You know, just that good investigative technique and. So I went to the academy, and, and I went to Haskell County pretty much straight out of the academy. Um, I had a sheriff who very much prided himself in a small organization. Uh, he understood that that his agency was going to be a stepping stone. And, you know, I, I've not seen a whole lot of guys like that, but he almost took pride in, in being that stepping stone and seeing his guys spread their wings and go on to other places and was very supportive of me in that process. Matter of fact, before I went to the academy, he actually, I actually talked to him and told him, you know, I felt guilty going to the academy cuz I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And he's like, you know, you've given me a good year and a half back in the jail and I'm going to send you. Hmm. So.
2: And so how long was the academy when you went?
1: It was uh, 9 weeks. Okay. Yeah. How long is it now? 14 14. Was it 14 when you went through? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. When did you, when did you graduate?
1: I graduated in March of 2001. I was actually in your dad's very first class as an instructor. <laughs> your dad was teaching I was still in high school investigations. at that point. <laughs> and I was in his very first class when I took the chief job and I started calling all you guys and visiting. I told your dad, I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I was in your very first class as an instructor at the academy. I said, you were teaching accident investigations. And he says, please don't hold that against me. <laughs> I said, well, don't hold anything from back then against me either. And we'll be, that's, that's we'll what I, good.
2: that's what I do now on people when they finally realize what my last name is. And I'm, they're just like, is Alvin your dad? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, listen, I understand he was the principal. Please don't judge me based on whatever it was that he did with you at the academy. Like (laughs) you, you and I, we both need to work together. Like there are times that I'm calling other agencies and asking for support on things or help with an investigation of some kind or something. I'm like, please don't hold that against me. Well, That's
1: tough. That's why I went to Western Kansas for a lot of mine. You know, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be Tracy Plouts, son. Same. Yeah. That's why I started out in Pratt. I chose to to move on and, and get away from that a little bit and, you know, kind of blaze my own trails, I guess.
2: Well, my dad told me, uh, over Christmas, he said that you, you've gone from, Oh, you're Alvin's son to I'm, I'm now Nick's dad. Yep, that's a good And he thing. said, he said, that's, that's a good thing. You know, yep. Cause I, I, I always prided myself on that as well. of Like, I want to make my own name in my own way. <clears throat> I don't want to, I don't want to ride my dad's coattails into whatever it is that my career is going to be. I don't know if you, or the same way. On I that. was the
1: same way. And, you know, when I went to West, when I went to Southwest Kansas, when I went to work for the Haskell County Sheriff's Office, uh, my uncle had just been promoted to captain of the highway patrol when he was covering that entire troop in Southwest Kansas. So then I was just diss- Dave's nephew. I, I I couldn't escape it because <laughs> unless I went East, I guess, but I, I so when know. you
2: were a kid, you had eyes on you. And then when you first became in law enforcement, you had eyes on you through your uncle. Yeah. Yeah. And then you never, never uh, got away from when it. When
1: I went to the highway patrol, my uncle was, uh, or when, when my, when I first went to Haskell County, sorry, I was in the hiring process with the highway patrol at that time. And I was literally, uh, sitting in the academy. It was during accident investigations. And I thought, man, I don't want to be a trooper. Screw working accidents. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. And I got offered
1: a job with Haskell County and ended up going out there. My, my uncle was on me. He's like, man, be a trooper, be a trooper, be a trooper. And you know, I, I think it was at his retirement party, probably 10 years ago that he looked at me and said, you know, I'm glad, glad you made this choice. Cause I would have never had the opportunity to work alongside of you and be on calls and stuff with you if it wouldn't have been for the fact that you know you you kind of took your own path and came out here and did your own thing,
0: yeah, is that kind of a trend in law enforcement for it to be like a generational kind of career like would you say more often than not it is, or
1: I think it's that way in any public service you see that a lot with teachers, you see that a lot with cops, you know, I think it's that public service mentality, yeah,
2: yeah, and I think it also depends too, like he was talking about. You know, his two brothers had no want to be in law enforcement and, and haven't, right? In no, any way. No, so, I mean. No.
1: No involvement at all. Anyway. It also
2: just kind of depends because I will tell you, um, and we'll definitely get into this. I know we will, but law enforcement definitely takes its toll, and so sometimes you are it takes its toll,
0: like on a family, on
2: on a, on the law enforcement officer. Okay. Family. Yeah. So body, then, so yeah. then they bring they bring that stuff home. So I think that sometimes it can be seen, it just depends on how the law enforcement officer, you know, handles that stress of being a law enforcement officer and how they parent their kids. And, you know, if the kids grow up seeing it as a thing that took dad away and broke him, or if it was this honorable, noble profession. I mean, because if you think about it, you know, when when we put our badges on, it's over our heart and it's a shield. And it used to be like knights of old, you know, they would, they had their shield of who they represented. They donned their body armor. Everybody knew who they were. So it's, it's that nobility in the profession. So I think it just depends on, you know, how the officer is and how they parent their kids. And
1: I think the agency has something to do with that too. It's something, you know, before we came on, Nick and I were sitting over at Applebee's just visiting and, you know, we're, t- we're talking about families and, and trying to work with each other because, you know, it was important for Nick to make sure that I had time with my kids. And it was important for me to make sure Nick had that time with his kids. You know, and that was, that was always my biggest fear as an administrator. I thought, man, I never want to be that boss that makes decisions and puts my guys into positions where their kids hate them later on. Cause they weren't present.
0: Cause they can't go to their ball you know? games and that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, everybody always loves to hear, can you think of any, uh, cool or fun stories from uh, your time in law enforcement that, you know, would be interesting or entertaining or fun to share? Cool everybody, or fun. Every To put you on the spot there, you know,
1: I think the funnest story I can tell, cause again, it's a long time past. I remember, uh, being back in, uh, my very, very early a- uh, days of law enforcement, uh, maybe not making the best decisions with, with how I spent my time in law enforcement. And uh, <laughs> I was 22 years old, brand new rookie officer working in Haskell County. So the kids graduating high school weren't that much younger than me. I mean, in reality, those kids graduating high school were freshmen when I was a senior in high school you know, so, you know, I think, I think kids flock to, and, and I think there's a lot to be said for those younger officers coming into the profession because they can relate with those kids. And so I had this, uh, local kid just graduated high school and, and he was a big old boy. Jesse was a big old boy. And, uh, he catches me outside the courthouse one night cause that's where all the kids hung out there and Sablét was in front of the courthouse and the courthouse lawn, you know, kind of on the square there on main street. And, And, uh, he's telling me what he doesn't know is he's given me Intel of a party house. Basically is what he's doing. But he's talking about this house out in the country that's on it. I
2: I think I know this story and this is a beautiful story. And (laughs) and he's trying, he's trying to get me to go out
1: there with him. And so what he isn't figuring out, so I'm setting him up trying to get my shift partners. I had two shift partners at the time. One of them eventually became my sheriff and I was his undersheriff, uh, Cause we managed to survive some of the stupid things we did in our career. But, uh, this, this kid's trying to get me to go out there. I said, man, we're busy right now. I said, if you're still here at two o'clock in the morning, I said, we'll go out there with you. He goes, all right. So he's waiting for us at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning. He's the only one left out there. So I'm like, all right, drive me out there. Show me where it's at. Well, essentially it's, it's this house. It's probably six, seven miles out of town. And out on a dirt road, you pull up and it's obvious when you walk in this house, like somebody had lived there at one time and they'd moved out, probably tore the house up, left all their stuff in the house. It was unrentable at that point. And so basically the landlords just let it go until it became a party house, probably for kids. So what he doesn't know is we staged out there. He's all, he's, he's serious. This house is haunted. You know, you hear sounds in this house, all this stuff. (laughs) So me and one of my shift partners follow him out there. He doesn't know there's a third one of us working. Well, it was probably late August, early September. So in Southwest Kansas, there's a lot of irrigated corn. And so the corn was high enough where you could pull a, you know, patrol car down a two track road and hide it pretty well. So my shift partner's back in there and, uh, he's hiding back in one of the bedrooms. There's kind of a closet there. There's an, there's an exposed air duct. And this was, I'm going to date myself in my career, but this is like when the, the VHS camcorders with night vision first came out. So we thought we we're pretty cool. He's back, in there. back
2: in the day. He,
1: he's got the VHS camcorder out and he's recording it. So he picks up like a paint can and he's just sitting there. As soon as he hears our voices coming to the door, he's taking that paint can and he's hitting that air duct just real slow. Just thunk, 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 thunk. <laughs> <clears throat> and, and Jesse starts freaking out. He's like, man, he goes, do you hear that? I'm like, I'm playing dumb. Hear what? He goes, you can't hear that. Seriously. I said, I don't hear anything. Jesse." I said, you're full of a man. I said, you brought me all the way out of here. I said, you're going to show me around. So we start walking through the house and I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I, I know where Troy's hiding at in the house. And so I'm kind of pushing him that direction and, and that's where the noise is coming from. So he's kind of trying to keep them going that way. <laughs> And he's trying to make every excuse in the world to not go, not go into the house. And finally, I get him back there, and I've got the light down where he doesn't see him. And Troy jumps out and grabs a hold of him. And and, and Jesse was one of those guys. I mean, Jesse was probably—I don't know—he's probably five, but he was a big boy. And Troy jumps out and grabs him, and it was like an offensive lineman running a four forty. Out the house and down the driveway, <laughs> just pure fight or flight. God. Thankfully, it was not fight; it was flight because I didn't know, not know that kid could run a four four forty, but he did out the front door of the house. So he tells us he goes, "Man, that was good." He goes, "We need to get my friend Brad tomorrow. Brad was his best friend, so we restage it, set up. Brad's sister was actually our records clerk at the sheriff's office at the time, so we really wanted to make sure to record that because his sister knew it was coming." And so next night, exact same thing. We set, set Brad up, except for we go back in there with Brad. And when, when Troy jumps out at Brad, Brad grabs his hand in the universal, I'm having a heart attack <laughs> with both hands and like a scene out of a movie, his whole body just ripples and he passes out from the fear <laughs> on the ground. And Troy's got that camcorder up, and he's going back and forth between Jeannie, the other officer, and I. Of course, you know, your eyes look bigger anyway with night vision. But it was like that, oh, my God, we just killed him. <laughs> look on our face, well, thankfully, finally, he comes to, and he's fine. It was just pure fear that he passed out, so we decided to. That was the last, uh, last of that kind of shenanigans. Yeah.
2: Well, the hindsight's always twenty twenty on something like that, because it's like we literally just recorded ourselves killing someone yeah. basically yeah. Like, that's kind of the realization uh, you have yeah that was <laughs> i knew that story you yeah. told me that story so when you started telling it, i was like yes this is a good one that is a good this one. is a
1: good one you know it's one of those jobs you gotta have fun in it there's too much seriousness and and uh you know just like just like the whole podcast point um nick used to send me these you know these motivational speaker <laughs> podcasts and finally, uh, like three in a row, I hadn't said a word to him about it, <laughs> but the first one he sends me, and I kid you not, I think, I don't remember, I can't even remember the sequence of them, but it was like an unattended death or something, like five minutes into listening to this podcast. A few weeks later, he sends me a podcast, because Tuesdays is chief, that was your day to cover patrol, and so I tried to get out of the office and go out and actually patrol instead of sitting behind a desk and actually get out on my Tuesdays. You know, Tuesday or Tuesdays. Two weeks later, one week later, I don't even remember what it is. He sends me another one. I kid you not, dead body. Five minutes into listening to this podcast. A few weeks later, he sends me another one. <laughs> five minutes into listening to the podcast, I've got a death. And I finally told Nick, I was like, quit sending me podcasts, dude. Every time I try to listen to one, literally five minutes into it, I'm on a death call. I- I'm done. He did. And so I was he like, Adam, and I wasn't going to listen to podcasts. So when I started this job, he sends me an email, (laughs) says, you know, all these great motivational podcasts and stuff. So, man, I want to see you keep building yourself and books and stuff. And so (laughs) my first week out on the road, I don't even know if I've told Nick that I might've told you this, my first week or my second week out, I thought, you know, I'm going to start listening to some podcasts. So I'm in, I'm in Fort Scott, Kansas, and I'd started a podcast right before lunch and I pulled into Wendy's there in Fort Scott. And as I'm walking out to my truck, I start my truck, my podcast comes on, and I see people running from the parking lot over to, I think it's 69 Highway that runs through Fort Scott. You know, it's one of those, I can't remember if it's two lanes and a turn lane or two double lanes and a turn lane. But anyway, the turn lane in the middle, I see a car that's crushed in. I see a motorcycle laid over on the side, and I see a motorcycle rider ejected off the motorcycle out there. I'm like... Man, I'm not even a cop anymore, and I can't get away from this. <laughs> Thankfully, that guy was fine, but not fine. He was injured, but was going to be
2: fine. Yeah, at least he didn't. He wasn't a code black. Yeah, he wasn't no, dead. He was not a code black. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me.
1: Someone
0: else needs to send you podcasts then, I guess. I, 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 I've got a pretty
1: good streak since that one. I, he still well, sends me a might, lot of podcasts. We'll, we'll go ahead and knock on the, we'll right knock on the, the table the, for it. The forage. table's
2: real wood. Um, so what, so you kind of go from, you get into law enforcement, like really young, as far as you said, what, 22, right? I was,
1: I was 20 when I started in the jail. I went to the Academy when I was 21. Yeah.
2: So, uh, so what was, what was the progression? Like, obviously you didn't go from just deputy and then you were, you know, an administrator the next, like, what is some of your repertoire there in the middle? So, Like
1: I said, Thomas County, I started out in the jail. The whole reason I was actually a jailer when I went to the police Academy. And what they were doing is, is back then, Thomas County still didn't have 24-hour coverage. So what they were doing is is they were hiring a bunch of young guys in the jail that were hungry and wanting to be cops. And so they were hiring us to be the night shift jailers so then we could go cover those calls so they didn't have to call people out. And so I was there for about a year and a half. I went to Haskell County uh, as a patrol officer. I was hired as a patrol deputy down there. And honestly, I I progressed really quick out there. Um, Southwest Kansas, if you guys have ever been out there, there's a lot of blowing dirt. Uh, Some of the best (laughs) people in the world are out there. It's it's a community in and of itself. You know, not just one community or one county, but the whole region. You know people everywhere down there. Um, We loved it down there. I always said I'd never go to Southwest Kansas. Um, My wife and I moved out there. We had some probably some reservations, but we were young and dumb, didn't know any better. Uh, she was offered a good job out there. I was offered a good job out there. So we thought, yeah, you know, it was going to kind of be a stepping stone. You know, honestly, it was going to be a, in my mind, at least a maybe two year, three year deal. And, and we were going to get out and head back East. And 16 years later, uh, <laughs> there we were uh, when the Sterling police chief job came <laughs> open and we're trying to decide, are we going to, stay in Southwest Kansas, or is it time to get back home? Because I grew up in Ellsworth. My wife grew up in Little River, so Rice County's home for my wife. And, and, you know, I had an opportunity. I still probably didn't have my feet wet under me. I was given the opportunity to take over as a canine handler in my first year as a deputy out there. And I thought about it, and I thought, man, I'm going to kick myself if I don't do this, because that was the one thing that I always wanted to do in law enforcement was be a canine handler. So I'm, I'm a young wet behind the ears patrol deputy that still isn't very sure of myself making my own decisions on calls. And the next thing you know, I'm responsible for a a dual purpose Wall that does uh, tracking patrol and, and narcotics. And I did that for five years because of that part, a lot of it because of that. But in that first five years too, I ended up actually going to SWAT school and was on a uh, multi-jurisdiction SRT team, special response team. I uh, did that, was the ram man for a for a regional team. Uh, during that time, and I was a canine handler. And we were hitting the point at that point that the kid, we're starting to have, you know, Nolan was a baby. Um, or Nolan, I think, was on the way. Nolan was on the way. And I'm looking back as a cop's kid thinking, man, I remember dad working night shifts, being grouchy. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> You know, of course, I was doing things like playing tennis off the side of the house in the bedroom while he was trying to sleep after (laughs) working night shifts, you know. But, you know, they decided we we had a school resource officer at one of our schools in the district, and they were looking to expand that. And so the sheriff actually asked me if I'd be interested in it. And, you know, I think my wife was getting pretty tired of all the call outs at that time, you know, because I was getting called out on all my days off, middle of the night, you know. Uh, covering several counties around because you know there's not an abundance of dog handlers out there to respond to call outs when they're happening so it, it wasn't uncommon for me to be responding into Seward County or Finney County or Meade County at two o'clock in the morning for a canine call out and, you know I, I knew she was getting pretty fed up with being woken up by my job every night and uh, that SRO job I really when that happened, I had no desire to be a school resource officer, but, uh, you know, they're sitting there offering me administrative schedule.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So your typical, like eight to five Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday, most
1: of the time, you know, summer times would roll around. They'd put us on a swing shift or fill in on investigations, depending on what the need was. And, uh, the, the only thing that ever really attracted my attention other than law enforcement was education. And the biggest part of that was just my love of sports, you know, playing sports as a kid. Um, Something I I always thought about was teaching, but I wasn't certainly going into teaching for the right reasons because I really just wanted to teach to coach. And so we go in, there's a meeting between me and the sheriff and the superintendent of the schools when they're trying to decide if they're going to put a school resource officer in. We get done with the meeting, meeting, or almost done with the meeting, and the superintendent says, I got one question for you. So what's that? He goes, we got a vacant middle school football coach position open. If you come to the school, would you be willing to coach middle school football? And I'm like, that was a game changer right there. <laughs> I'm like, game on.
2: <laughs> so that actually led. To where a, do I sign? That
1: actually led to a, a ten year coaching career for me, where I started out coaching middle school and ended up my last three years, I I was a assistant coach at high school level and. And tenure coaching, and I absolutely love that. That six years of SRO, honestly, I wanted that job for every wrong reason, and probably the the part of my career I enjoyed the most.
2: Well, I think there's also a common misconception, too, of like you're just a cop in the school that's then there to basically just arrest kids for everything that they do. Yeah. When it's actually kind of the like that's your like last, last resort, resort, yeah. no matter what. Yep. Um. So, going back real quick, you were talking about a dual-purpose dog. Like, I I know what that means, but what for listeners? What does that mean?
1: So, a dual-purpose dog is basically, you know, uh, as far as police dogs go, there's a lot of different types that we have. I mean, there can be bomb dogs. There can be narcotic dogs. Obviously, when you when you're talking sense of bombs or narcotics, you're not crossing those things up. You're not gonna have a dog that's bomb and narcotic. Uh, dual purpose is really getting into if they do that scent work plus another work like patrol, like uh, find and bite felony suspects and, and things like that,
2: and then uh, the school uh, the school resource officer stuff what. Like, what are some of the ways that you kind of were in the school? Like, what was the kind of the purpose of that? Like, the purpose of having a law enforcement officer in the school? At
1: that time out there, with with the area we were in, um, they were, the school district was seeing some increase of some gang activities.
0: How big of a school was it? It was only a
1: 2A district. Um, But just because of demographics and stuff, you know, there was a lot of transient students and stuff in those districts. And they were start that was the school's big push on it. You know, it's one of those deals you'd walk in the bathrooms and you'd see gang graffiti on the stalls. And so really it was, it was a proactive approach um, to start working with these kids to start trying to get that mentality switched around. Um, at school resource, a good school resource officer does a lot of law related education inside of schools. You know, they serve as that mentor for those kids that are, that are lost. You know, we'd get, <coughs> excuse me we get kids in that were, you know, coming out of of bad experiences and in foster cares and stuff in in that area. And, you know, one example, I had one kid come in and, and he was pretty deeply involved in a, in a gang when he came in and kid comes in and, and, you know, he was a overly matured eighth grade student at that time. But, you know, this kid had, had gang tattoos on his hands already and he's 13, 14 years old. And, you know, just getting, being able to work with that kid in that one-on-one environment, not only as a cop, but taking that, uniform off and working with them as a coach too. You know, this kid gets to where, you know, I talked to him. I'm like, dude, that that's not what our team represents. That may be what you represent, but you're representing something bigger than yourself right now, just like a gang. And I said on game nights, I said, we're going to cover those gang tattoos with, with tape and not represent that on our team. If, if you're going to be part of this and you know, the kid, not only I was able to get that kid, not only to buy into that there, but he started doing it to practice too. You know, and just being able to work with those kids. You know, I I don't know where that kid ended up at. You know, some of those kids floated in and out, and you and you never hear the end stories. Um, but you know, just at least being able to plant that seed with that kid and having that opportunity to work with them, I think that's the part of the job I like the most.
2: So, what was coaching like? I mean, as far as I mean, did you did it? Did you start hot and heavy? Can you, had you coached before and kind of had some experience or?
1: I honestly ended up, and this is how I ended up in the, the SRO position in the first place is, you know, being the young guy, our, our white room in the community was in the rec center. And so I was in working out one day, you know, I was that young cop that had to make sure I looked good in my uniform. Obviously, I <laughs> obviously I lost that approach to, to police work eventually, but uh, um, I'm in and, and the rec director actually comes in and he says, man, I got a huge favor to ask of you. I said, what's that? He goes you know, we just got a group right now. There's not a lot of parental involvement as far as coaching and stuff. And he goes, I need more designated coach or designated pitch coaches, which was the, you know, the machine pitch league baseball. Like, you know, my dad was one of those guys. My dad was really active in that stuff. When I was a kid, that was his place. He was in a, in the JCS program there in Ellsworth back when the JC's and were really big. And, you know, they went in and they built, literally built the ball diamond, started the Saturday basketball league for fifth and sixth graders at the local level. And, you know, those guys coached and they officiated and they ran the score clocks and, and they did all those things. So I guess that was kind of bred into me watching my dad do that. So I was literally twenty three years old and I'm coaching, I don't even have kids of my own, um, at this time. And here I'm out there <laughs> coaching a bunch of, I don't know, probably nine, 10 year old kids. And so I'd kind of gotten a start. So I was coaching at the direct level before I, you know, had kids. So,
2: so you move through the coach or you're still coaching. And then what was your next progression from SRO?
1: So I was still coaching and it was late in a It was late in the summer. Um, or under sheriff that had been there, uh, Troy's first under sheriff when he first was elected. It was in that first term, but he left towards the end of the first term, and and Troy put out there that he was going to open it internally first. Um, and like I said, I was one of those guys as far as my progression went. Um, you know, obviously, a big part of the sheriff's office is being able to run a jail. You know, I'd worked in a jail. Um, I'd worked in. I'd had some experience working in dispatch. Um, I took some stints in the summertime when I was SRO, helping out in investigations, uh, patrol, canine. So really, I'm sitting there thinking about it, and I had no desire to go administration at the time. And, you know, as it's opening up in-house, there were some guys in-house that were talking about applying for it. And, And it was nothing against them, but they had different philosophies about law enforcement than I did. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, am I really going to be happy if that's the kind of philosophy I'm working towards? And so I decided that I was going to put in for it and see what happens. And, and inevitably, I ended up uh, 2012, I actually promoted from SRO to <laughs> under sheriff.
2: And there was other things to promote to in the middle. Did you have sergeants there, there and lieutenants were, and stuff? Or? There
1: were off and on through different administrations. Um yes. Um, under Troy at that point, um, there wasn't, um, his undersheriff was the previous sergeant and it was just a position that at that point they never filled. But under the previous administration, again, this was Troy's first term of office. And, and I, I loved my job. Uh, I was really not, uh, I could still be sitting in that position probably. I, I absolutely loved it.
2: Well, so then you, uh, so you go from like working in a jail to the street. And then to a school, and then to now admin, to where you're running the jail. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's probably one of the things that I've heard you talk about the least fond that you were of that you were the least fond about of of that promotion was you know you were constantly answering grievances and yeah. and and running a jail is a big pain which it, I, it is. is I think if every sheriff could get rid of their jail they'd do it in a heartbeat I
0: think you're right you is know, it more of a sheriff that runs the jail or is it the undersheriff it, that it's kind it, of it,
1: Honestly, it's ultimately, I mean, bottom line is, is when things get screwed up inside of a jail, the, the first name on the lawsuit's going to be the sheriff. Yep. Uh, but the sheriff has enough other things going on. They're usually going to pass that down. Um, you know, there were a few different times I'd pass some, some responsibilities of that down, but ultimately, um, Bottom line is I just wasn't happy with the way things were being ran, and I ended up taking it back over myself.
2: Did you guys have like a jail captain, jail we administrator, or anything no. like that? No. So that was you. That was me. And how many how many detention officers did you have under? We you? were.
1: You catch them, you clean them. Our, ah. our dispatchers ah. doubled on the cell checks, and yeah.
2: So what he what he's meaning when he says "you catch them, you clean them" is if you arrest them. You come in, you do all the paperwork, you book them, you fingerprint them, you do all that stuff. And then if they don't bond out and they're still in a cell, the dispatchers kind of take mm-hmm. care of the rest. And that's actually, uh, I don't know how common it is today. I think it's its still decently common in smaller, smaller agencies. agencies yeah. But most places kind of have a structure of detention officers that are given 24-hour coverage. And then usually like a jail administra- administrator or jail captain or whatever yeah. that kind of is a buffer between the jail and the undersheriff. It's kind of the structure. Yeah, you know, you it's see. one of those
1: deals when you're running a jail. There's so many, you know, legal based guidelines and stuff on, <clears throat> on running a correctional facility. And you know, it's one of those deals every time you think you got your policies tweaked and things are going good, you go to another training on on legal based or legal based jail guidelines and you're just like, Oh crap. You
0: get caught up <laughs> time, when the policies time, change. <laughs> time to time to go
1: back to the, the writing board and, and revamp some of this.
2: So uh, it's, it's interesting how then you came to Sterling Police Department because you, you get a call from Mary. And <laughs> yeah. I think I'll let you tell that story because it's kind of a funny story.
1: So through my time as a school resource officer, I knew Chief Mary Kendrick, who was my uh, predecessor, um, for probably five or six years because her and I were on the Kansas Juvenile Officers Association board together. And so at the time of this, I was president of the Kansas Juvenile Officers Association. And this was like on a Thursday. And I was supposed to, we had a meeting called, uh, getting ready for a conference. And I think we're going to Lawrence. I want to see. Yeah, it was Lawrence. I can remember now it was Lawrence. I'm um, supposed to be going to Lawrence on Monday for a meeting. So I get a phone call and it's Chief Kendrick calling me. And I answered the phone. And as soon as I answered the phone, uh, one of my sergeants came in because we had Troy and I, after I came in, we'd revamp some things. I ended up promoting two guys to sergeant's positions. Uh At that time, I was able to kind of kick down some of the jail duties again to one of them. And my one that was kind of covering stuff back in the jail comes in. And we'd had a guy in the restraint chair like two times that day already. And the guy just wasn't getting it, wasn't cooling down. So we kept having to put him back in the restraint chair. So Denton comes in, and I could see by Denton's body language that this guy was out of control back in the jail again. And I tell Mary, I said, just a minute. I said, let me, I said, my sergeant's coming in. So I didn't mute it or anything. I just kind of held the phone to the side, and you know, I made some comment. What the hell is he doing back there now, you know? <laughs> He's like, yeah, he tells me. and goes, we're going to have to put him back in the chair. And I said, you know, I picked the phone back up to Mary. I said, sorry about that. Go ahead, Mary. And she goes, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> and I jokingly said, I'm running a jail, dreaming of being a chief of police when I grow up.
2: <laughs> and she says, funny Mary, story.
1: Yeah. Mary says, funny story. I was calling to let you know that I won't be at our meeting on Monday because I'm meeting with the city manager to turn in my retirement paperwork. So if you're being serious, I know where there's a chief
2: of police. <laughs> <opening up." laughs> That's how that works. In, in
1: rewind to Sterling. <laughs> Sterling's a place. I grew up coming to Sterling growing up in Ellsworth. Uh, we played in the Sterling classic basketball tournament. Um, all, a lot of my coaching staff, both mainly on the football side, but football and basketball, our, our coaching staff were all Sterling, you know, younger coaches that had graduated playing basketball or football at Sterling College. And so we'd come here for the camps and stuff in the summertime. And, you know, so we had a lot of fond memories. As a matter of fact, uh, me and my wife kind of met at the Sterling tournaments. So, um, you know, my best friend in high school, his sister played basketball at the college. So it, it was a place that was familiar. It was a place, obviously we all know it. Sterling's a great little community, nice yep. little town. And so, you know, and another thing was the, the December before that, this was, that was in May when Mary and I had that conversation, but you know, being in little river I had a neighbor lady who we kind of helped little widow and her daughter lives up in the Lions, and, she ended up having a bunch of health problems and basically her two daughters gave them an ultimatum. You know, one of them lived down in Texas, one of them lived in Lyons and said, uh, you know, you're at the point with your health. We're going to give you the choice, but you know, you need to go to an assisted living either in the Lyons area or down around where the other daughter was at in Texas. And so she actually ended up in the assisted living up in Lyons. So when we were back going back to Little River, we'd stop and see her. And um, her health got bad enough, she ended up needing to be in a nursing home. And so there was no openings at, at Good Samaritan up in Lyons. So she actually ended up in, in uh, the manor down in Sterling. So the Christmas before, you know, we'd stopped. We were back for Christmas. So, you know, we stopped to see her and, you know, took her some cookies and stuff at the nursing home. And and uh, when we were down here, my wife says, man, I forget, we hadn't been in Sterling in years. And she said that was back the December before she goes, mary ever retires she goes i could see us living in sterling you know <laughs> so there were a lot of things that kind of led up to it i guess
2: well and and to give a little backstory there um part of when you were talking about the growth portion of that of your last podcast um was I actually competed against Derek for the job i wasn't much competition but i competed and you know i have to admit when when he got the job initially i was very salty um but granted I only had like five years on the job at that time. And you, at that time you probably had more than like 10 or 15 or so. Uh, Yeah. And, and, and not, and not salty at you just so you know that. And so I kind of decided of, you know, like I kind of, I went in and told him like, Hey, I applied at the KBI just to let you know. And so you were aware. And, uh, as, as time progressed, I kind of saw, wow uh, Taggart, who was the city manager at the time. I'm like, okay, this guy made a good call. Cause this guy is amazing. And so I ended up rescinding my application to the KBI and went back in and just said, Hey, you know, as a part of that growth process of like, I see I, the, what I told you was, I see some good things g- going on here and some good things happening. And I want to be a part of that. And so that's kind of a segue into like, where did, I don't think this is a conversation that you and I ever really have had. But one thing that we like to focus on is is leadership and uh, stuff in the podcast, as as you know. Like, what what really formed your ideas and your thoughts in leadership? Because you are unlike any administrator I've ever worked for before in a very good way. Uh, I mean, I'd have to say, you know, Vernon was good as well, but you were just a step better, in my opinion. I,
1: I think part of it was growing up and seeing the frustrations my dad came home with. And, and kind of having that background of what the universal frustrations are. You know, I, I went into it at least knowing on my part what I was going to be frustrated with, what was going to keep me up at night. And, you know, and looking back at it, honestly, I had, when I promoted to sheriff, I had zero leadership training in in my career, you know. At that point, I had to switch my focus on what I was getting my training in. But there were some certain things that always stuck with me as far as leadership goes. And, and number one, I saw the universal frustration with lack of communication uh, from the top mainly In through some different supervisors I had. It's like one of those deals that, you know, there were times that I'd feel like I was expected to do something, but nobody ever relayed that expectation to me. And those were the things that would make me lose sleep at night. So I always tried to go in with that mentality of try not to do anything that's going to make you guys lose sleep because you're not telling them what you expect of them. Yeah, um, that that was one thing that formed me. Was you know I, I was probably an over. You guys probably got sick and tired of getting emails from me sometimes. I
2: miss the shit out of those emails. I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> You know,
1: but I can tell you, it depends on the personality. Cause I had people flat out tell me, if you send me one more damn email, you know. <laughs>
2: Amanda tells me that when I'm sending yeah. her emails on her reports. <laughs> you know,
1: but I'm one of those people. I'd rather have my guys frustrated that I'm sending too many emails than frustrated to not know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole secret squirrel stuff too that goes on in law enforcement, even inside of agencies was something that used to just drive me nuts. I'm like, you hired me to be a cop. You give me a gun. You put me in a position to ultimately take somebody's life legally. But you don't trust me with intel because I'm not yep. in the circle of investigators that's, yep. that's working this case. You know, so I, I tried to eliminate some of that. Granted, when you figure out, when you get into it, there's sometimes there's needs for that stuff. You know, there may be conflicts, of interest mm-hmm. because of family or things like mm. that. But, you know, as a whole – I just really went in and tried to eliminate universal frustrations of the job when I was doing it. And again, you know, personality-wise, there were people with completely different personalities than I am that, that may have a completely different uh viewpoint on what my administration style was.
2: Well, one of the things that I found that was amazing compared to other administrators that I had was whenever we'd have like – we had one time where we had the Sand Hill fires and the sheriff's office was tied up with just – all the sandhill fires were like what two three years ago something yeah. like that, Is and that it was the ones that were in the <clears throat> highlands or the ones yeah. yeah yep 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 uh, the ones that like came down into Reno County and mm-hmm. it was like a, they had like the Blackhawk helicopters and everything. Well, it was cool because you know we were told like hey you're going to assist the county in handling calls because they're busy bas- basically blocking traffic and letting people in and out of this area that need to be, and it was cool because the communication that came from that top down was from Derek was. You know, if you get a call, you know, you go to the call and you handle it like you normally would and we'll put the report in our report management system. We'll code it this specific way. We'll get them this copy. And it was like a real, you know, like a checkbox in a way of like, here's what you're going to do. And I know that sounds stupid and rudimentary, but I'd never seen that communication before. It was always kind of a, you know, flip a coin and see where it lands and we'll kind of, you know, we'll handle that problem when it, when it presents itself or even another thing that I really liked. And respected was every time there was a commission meeting that, you know, he could kind of see something that was either on the horizon or a change that was made or something that they were looking at, like the the trap neuter release thing that was coming to us. So you guys are getting ready to
1: do that again? Yeah. I
2: bet you missed that. (laughs) I do. (laughs) But actually um, Craig
1: said something to me about it and I just started laughing. <laughs> said something about that being my program. I'm like, No, no, no.
2: <laughs> and so uh he would email us and just say, like, hey, here's kind of what happened in the commission meeting tonight and and I never thought there were too many emails personally. I mean I, I and I would have been honest about that if there was, but it was just nice to have that communication from the top down and
0: I would say were most of those emails you could read in five minutes or less, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, thirty seconds probably. Yeah, they weren't.
2: They they were. There were a lot of just informational, like yeah. just to you know, kind of, you know, because a lot of a lot of like if you go to a big agency, if you are getting an email from the chief, typically like it's some sort of a directive, like of this over like this big policy decision. Most of the time, you're getting things handed handled by sergeants, lieutenants, and if you've really screwed up, captains, like you never hear from the chief as far as on a personal level. So. Um, but it was it's it's a different mindset with small departments, and it's kind of nice. But I feel care- like
0: there's a lot of issues communication. Period. Like even in business, you know, like absolutely from the top. You down. know, being in the
1: private market now, you know, it's one of those deals that that and it doesn't matter what it is. It, it's everywhere. You yeah. know, there, there's no place that's perfect on that. And so, you know, I always took an approach: that the more you can communicate and at least let people know what your expectations are, the better. You know, that was a decision I made, and actually, uh, Sergeant Tomer contacted me and said, you know, there's just, there's a lot of anxiety in the department with a new guy that nobody knows anything about. You know, will you come down and just meet with us just to put that at ease? I'm like, great idea. You know, I took over a turnkey operation. Um, I I really did. I had great staff. Um, We had great community support. Um, I felt that as soon as I stepped into office, that made it easy. You know, From the flip side where I promoted at my last agency and I made my way up through the ranks, you know, it was just a completely different feel, you know, because it's one of those deals, all those bonehead things you did and all those stories, you know, everybody's got that background on you (laughs) before you ever get started. And they started, uh, Derek, you remember that one time (laughs) every time you're like, yep, I remember Uh, that story now.
2: Or you're going to discipline someone. Don't you remember that one time when you did that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so, uh, but you know, i kind of wanted if you're if you're cool with it of like i wanted to get some of your insights and what you saw uh because during you know chad's event Corey's event stuff like that if you wanted to delve into that a little bit as far as because i know there's some things there that people never really um take into account like you know one thing you told me was it was hard for you to order me to grab my rifle get in a car and go and you had to stay
1: yeah um as an administrator, it is so tough because I'm one of those guys by personality that I put everything on my own shoulders. Um, I I had a, a guy that, that mentored me in my career. That was a very successful law enforcement officer. And we can go into this a little bit later on too. But, uh, if you remember that training, I took you guys all to to Junction City. Mm -hmm. That guy mentored me a lot. Um, that guy changed my mind frame on where we needed to go with mental health with our officers in the job. But I believe it was him that made a comment one time. He goes, man, he goes, I don't understand. He goes, man, I got staff losing sleep over the decisions I'm making. He goes, I don't lose that sleep over what they're doing. And later on, as I got into my career, I thought, man, I, you know, there's a difference between a small agency and a big agency because I am losing sleep over over what my guys think about what I'm doing because, it, you know, these small agencies are more of a family thing, you know, even, even when you cross agency lines from Sterling police department to the rice County sheriff's office, to Lyons police department, you know, um, we all go on calls enough, but it's like really is sometimes like we're all, we're wearing a different uniform. I mean, we,
0: there's less of you guys and like the whole County or ice County than there is probably at HPD. Here. Oh yeah. Or, I yeah. mean, you go to Wichita, yeah, you know, and it's, yeah that's compared yeah
2: to absolutely so back on to the I the call out with uh, Chad getting shot and the sheriff getting shot and stuff yeah. I mean how long you,
0: how long had you been chief when that happened
1: that happened the first one with, with Chad and Brian happened in April of 2019 I came here September of 2017
2: okay and so you kind of had a realization early on okay Chad shot he's obviously out and now we're hearing that Brian shot and he's out So you kind of took a took an idea of like, okay someone somewhere is going to have to be the liaison or whatever for the county to kind of step up. And
1: I mean, ultimately, first things first, we're all cops. And it doesn't matter when 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 officers are down, it doesn't matter what the title is. We're all cops.
2: That Um, stuff goes out the window. I can tell you you that much.
1: At at least it was going to in the agency I worked for. And so I didn't you know, I'm hearing radio of guys under gunfire. And my first response is to respond. Uh, like I said, I was a, I was a SWAT officer for five years. Um, you know, I do have a high level of tactical, not a high level. I've got a higher level than most street officers of, of tactical training and experience. And my first desire is to respond because I wanted to be there. I wanted to be in the middle of it. Put I mean, me in nobody coach. wants to go to a gunfight, but it's put me in coach. Yep. And I'm literally sitting there and I remember Justin Carter, um, I think I talked to you and Justin both. I don't remember if you guys called me or if I called you, but basically we still had, at that time, we only had two patrol cars and one of them was still sitting down at the PD. And so I told Nick and Justin both as I was talking to them to respond straight to the scene where, where Under Sheriff Murphy had been shot. And so I went down and got the car and I'm coming back and my intention was to grab whoever the first one was, load them up and get going. I look over, Justin's getting in the car, I see Nick stand there, and I think, I'm sure there were some, probably some cuss words said, but I, <laughs> there I, was. I asked, I, uh-huh, I know there was too, because I watched <laughs> the video, but I asked Nick where his, his precision rifle was at, and he said in the back of the truck, and I, I said with some explicit language to get it loaded up, and, and, uh, Get I'm trying going. not to cuss here. My I, I told Nick this a while back. I didn't realize you got kids listening, man. My,
2: my I I didn't know that until he not know. Son,
1: I walked in and he was actually listening to you guys' podcast. Yes, his, his he's son. on my he's on my Amazon music, so so he sees my history on so he listens to some of my podcasts. And so. I
2: was like, Oh, whoo, Uh
1: oops. So, so I'm trying not to here. Um I've got a tendency to cuss like a sailor too, so. Hey, whenever um, you
2: listen to the podcast. Hi, Nolan. <laughs> it's Kevin. It's oh, Kevin Oh, it? Okay, my in. bad. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, it's Kevin Sorry.
1: Um, I'm just standing there, though, because I looked at Nick and I said, go. And I watched those two guys drive off, and it's me and Sergeant Tomer standing there. They'd already, at that point, uh, taken Chad to the hospital in Lyons. Uh, huh. Sheriff Evans had already responded to the call.
2: I never even thought of that. So it's all this buzz of activity, yeah. all these people. And then everybody's suddenly gone yeah. because everybody's asking for support there. And yeah. you guys are just kind of standing there and it's like crickets.
1: Yeah. And, and Rick and I are literally standing there. Um, like what it, just happened? And, yeah. And we're listening to it. And, you know, basically Rick's truck needs, I mean, we've got to have a vehicle on scene because we're maintaining security of that first shooting. And, you know, I, I had to make that decision that, you know, at that point I'd already heard, you know, um, Chief Holliday from Lions was responding to the scene. Um, Chief Joe Hanning, who was at Little River at the time, was already responding to the scene. And I thought, we've got every other department head either now at this point in a shootout shot or yeah. responding to that point. Yep. Somebody's got to start taking control. So I remember I called uh, called one of our local KBI agents. I know those guys are a little... We're um, more sticky about saying names, but called one of our local KBI agents. And I said, man, I know what you guys' policy is, that a, a department head from that department has to request assistance, but they've got nobody left.
2: Yeah, they're, yeah. they're both a uh, Problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he says, how many do you need? I said, start sending everybody. It's, it's still going.
2: Yeah. Well, I remember when we were on scene and things kind of calmed down just a touch. Uh, when I say calm down, I mean, we didn't know whether David was still alive at that time or anything. But I remember John Poe was basically kind of senior man at that time. And at that time, he's probably only like, what, two, three, maybe-ish years. Well, because the sheriff was out uh, and uh, Chad was out. Well, and then Max had... Monty was
1: out. had just had a procedure done. Yeah, well, yeah, Monty was out
2: because he was on medical. Well, and then Max had actually returned fire at Madden. So he was on... uh, time you know administrative leave because of you know firing his weapon so he got the call of like hey guess what you're sheriff and you just saw him go oh god like you saw it in his face like just the color drain of just like it's like you're it bro like you are the sheriff right now like pro tim basically well
1: after i got everybody deployed too i ended up getting up there because max actually called me because at that point you know max was kind of the senior guy so i pulled max to the side and kind of had him started briefing me on what was going on and and uh he tells me, you know, that that he had ended up returning fire, and I'm like, well, there's nobody to tell you you're on admin leave, so I'm taking you to KBI now, because... Uh... <laughs>
2: <laughs> that changes the dynamic just a touch.
1: They're probably going to want to talk to you here.
2: Um, so then it, it contrasts a little bit in the sense of with uh, Corey shooting, which is still in the court system. It's a little bit different, yeah. so um, I don't really want to comment a whole lot, considering that that's still an active case, but you know you you kind of were requested by the chief in Lions to kind of assist because he was focused on being with his officers and being with that up to kind of handle the 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 tress, the the press train and well, stuff and he'd like that. he been injured as well. Yeah. 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 And so I guess how did they how did they differ? How were they similar? How did they weigh on you?
1: You know, I think it's one <clears throat> of those deals. It, it it the the more times you see officers down the more it's going to weigh on you. You know. It's one of those deals, you know, I, I've been fortunate to not ever have that head in the sand mentality. You know, as that guy, when I was working the streets that I was driving around, I was thinking about these situations. Um, we always go through things in life that we don't, ex- I mean, we think that they could happen, but we really don't expect to be in that situation. You know, and, I, and I've always been a firm believer that the, the body won't go where the mind hasn't been. And, you know, you try to put your mind in that scenario. So your body instantly reacts to whatever that traumatic or or whatever it is, experiences that you're going on. And just like any, you know, um, with, without going into a whole lot, that one, my kids were with me when I got the phone call. Uh, my youngest son was with me both times I got the calls and I started to see the effect that that put on my kids. Um, I remembered back being, an, being a kid and seeing my dad in those situations and remembering how I felt. And that really started to make me change my mind frame on the job a little bit. Um, you know, it, it made it tougher when you see your kids being affected by your job, it's one thing, you know, we all know we're screwed up as cops. I mean, we, we put a lot of trauma baggage deep down away and we, we buried away and we expect that of ourselves. But man, when you see how it's affecting your family, it It uh, hits a little different, it hits, it hits hard.
2: Well, so when you talk about the, the training that you sent us to, I mean, kind of the one that was in junction city, Mm -hmm. like how did that, I mean, explain that, but then also how did that help formulate, you know, your decision making and how you handled these situations and then also yourself and your family and stuff.
1: You know, it it was one of those deals, the the guy's a retired chief of police out of Illinois and he's got a company called Breach Point Consulting. And when he talks about a breach point, you know, obviously a breach point's when you come through a doorway, you know, and in in a tactical sense and in a cop world, we think of breaches, we got a big long tool in our hands and we breach the door. But, but his breach point is, is coming through that door and seeing things differently and handling things differently. And, you know, he really goes into a lot talking about, uh, you know, the time that he was officer of the year. And he goes, but I was a really crappy husband and father at home. Yep. And he goes, I had two different lives. I had my street life as a cop and I had my home life. And he goes, I was laying on the couch, boozing myself. Up on my days off when I wasn't there I wasn't present with my family you know and honestly the first time I heard him I think I think we all have a tendency regardless of professions that maybe we come to that crossroad of life you know I I know it happens more with cops because you know you can I could go all day long into the serotonin deficiencies that we struggle with in law enforcement because of the long weird hours the food the diet the Lack of exercise, everything calls else we, we do, go to. the calls we go to, the the traumas that we carry, um, you know, I don't remember what the statistic is, but it's crazy, you know. They say the average person in life, you know, experiences, you know, a handful of traumas in their lifetime. You know, and the career law enforcement officer, it's
2: yeah, well, hundreds, it, that's, that's hundreds, yeah, that's what it was talking about. Of, if I remember correctly, it wasn't much of like truly critical incidents, right? Was like five, yeah. for a normal person, if I remember correctly, correct. And, like, that, that is what a law enforcement officer sometimes, and especially in big jurisdictions, they're experiencing that a week. Yeah. And then that... Even in
1: small jurisdictions, I've dealt with that in a month. Yeah. You know, even in a small jurisdiction. Well,
2: I, the reason that I say it from that lens is because I personally feel lucky in so many ways to work for Sterling PD. Um, you know, we we didn't have to deal with... I mean, in, in the last chase that I was telling you about, you know, things are getting crazy out there. They are. Absolutely freaking crazy. Um, but... Do you think that's
0: uh, like a mental health deal from like the post COVID thing, like we we're talking about? With
2: I don't know this last guy we that we chased that that's that's a that's a deep seated, um, like thought process that he's been working on the for, the mental health probably since he was a kid.
1: The mental health stuff was starting pre COVID. Yep. It, it has certainly not gotten better because of COVID. It was starting pre COVID. You know we were dealing with the moratoriums. At our state hospitals, where they were shutting beds down, yep. where we weren't able to get people help, um, you know, I've, I've said for years, I, I had somebody look at me pretty early on into admin and says, "What do we need to do to combat the the, the drug crisis we have in our community?" So we got to start with the mental health first, yep, because the, the the drug problems we're dealing with in society are so deeply rooted in mental health, self medication. Uh, the lack of affordability and access to the medications these people are needing that and they're self-medicating. Yeah. That. Th- that they're self-medicating.
2: Yeah. And they, and they closed down a ton of facilities. I mean, even when we heard, uh, Ted in here talking about those facilities like Wakini and Dark City yeah. and, you know, those, those just simply do no, not, not exist. exist anymore. And so now it's basically, you know, law enforcement and communities themselves and hospitals and uh, ambulances are basically picking up the slack from those.
1: Well, I remember when I first came here, you know, when I first came here in 2017, that was a, a deep discussion was mental health, you know, and, and we have our, our state leaders telling us that, you know, we need to be creative at the local level. Well, Come to Rice County, Kansas. There's not a whole lot of creativity you can do at the local level, and I don't remember if it was you, Sarge, somebody, and it was one of those deals we're dealing with somebody, and you know we could we could spend at least a half a shift as getting an evaluation done with somebody, mm-hmm. and we had a we had a gentleman in in a mental health crisis, and our and he was he was looking for help himself. I think he would even called himself in, or at least he was willing to get help. And I remember asking, I said, Is he medicated? Or is he not medicated? Is he insured? They said, Yeah. I said, See if there's a bed available at Hutch Hospital and yeah. drive him down there. They're like, We're doing what? They tell us to be we we can spend four hours for them to release him and give him no care. Or we can drive to the guy to the get the care he needs.
2: Yeah, especially when he wants it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's that's the key of A, they they want it. They're not in any type of custody because they're a danger to themselves mm-hmm. or others, and B you got insurance. I mean, that's the big kicker. It is. That's the huge kicker is the insurance. It is. Um, so back a little bit onto, you know, cause mental health is one thing, I guess we've kind of been, you know, renaissancing on this, this for a while now is, you know, that guy talked about how, even though he was officer of the year or whatever, and his buddy had been as well. And then his buddy ended up killing himself, mm-hmm. even though he was like this exemplary, like amazing law enforcement officer. And, that was his wake up call of like, wait a minute. This guy that was doing all this amazing work, all these amazing things, arresting all these bad guys did this. Why? And that's what, and he talked about when we went and, and to give it a little bit of backstory too was Derek thought this was so important that you got a part time officer to cover the shifts so that we could go to oh, this. But then a which, team. Yeah, yeah. Which is unheard of in a small agency because you know you have to have that coverage and there's really not anybody to you know like you don't just uproot everybody and take so that's how important this was to you and it was a phenomenal training but he talked about how you know if you if you research something every day for five minutes eventually you'll like become an expert and that's kind of what he did and that's what made him start this and do this training and so uh, it, it was interesting to see that change is well. And Derek, because I remember when we would, even prior to Chad stuff and and Corey stuff of, you know, talking about things and debriefing things. And that was unheard of to me as well. I remember right after, uh, Chad's of all of us going back to the office, we'd all kind of been released and, uh, KBI kind of had control of the incident and, And I don't know if it was that night or if it It was was a different, yeah, if it was, but you know, and, and Derek said butt hurt mode off. Oh, that was
1: the, yeah, that was a different. Yeah, that was a different. I thought you were just saying, yeah, we went and debriefed, uh, the night that, that Chad and and Bryant got shot too. I told you guys, you're not going home till we've all had a chance to come in and we're going to go out as a team. You know, we're not. We went in as individuals, but we're not going to go out as individuals. We're going to have that time to talk. That's important.
2: Yeah. And, and, and then we, it was kind of the, the, the ranks went out the window. It's butt hurt mode off. Like Derek even was of the mindset of like, if you saw me do something that was wrong or not right, or you tell me right here, right now, this is the place to get that out. And, and There's we not had a lot of leaders to do that. And we had some, we had a few hard yeah. conversations yeah. there, but most of it was pretty decently positive as Bottom far as the response line is
1: when you're going to an event like that everybody screwed up somewhere it doesn't matter what your rank is yep everybody probably violated a, a, that same one when you're talking about the butt hurt conversation, I think we did some policy review on that one. And I started out, I thought, how am I going to get these guys to to want to do policy review? And I finally thought, you know what? I'm just going to point out everywhere that I violated policy that night, and that's going to make it really easy when the when the chief steps up and says we need to review these because I violated these. Yeah, I, I wrote the policy and I violated. Them. So there you go. Yeah. Well,
2: and that was important enough to him after Corey's incident because I got called in. I was on COVID quarantine, quote unquote. Which of course, you know, was like, Hey, I don't care if you're on COVID, get here. So, okay. I'm on my way. Um, but afterwards, obviously, you know, I couldn't really be around people because that's kind of what we do afterwards yeah. is, is as officers, we just get together and we, we, we deal with and process that collective stress and trauma by kind of giving our own storytelling narrative point, which is one reason I love the podcast too, because it's basically like the same thing we do post-call as law enforcement officers is just banter back and forth and have a conversation about it. But I remember him pulling Derek, pulling me aside and saying like, Hey, like you're not going home. till you, talk to me. And like, is there anything that you know, are, how you doing? Is there anything that you saw or whatever? And you know, I kind of gave a brief rundown and then it was like, okay, now you can go home. So,
1: you know, and some of that comes from some other training too. You know, I've, I've, I don't know how many times I've been to a Dave Grossman presentation, and that's something he talks about a lot too. You know, it's one of those deals he talks about. Of course, he's military background, but he talks about why cops are so screwed up and why we're seeing these, these harmful actions out of cops off duty, on duty. You know, what things I call career suicide um, in any career
2: showing up drunk to work and stuff like that. Yep.
1: But but that's one thing he really hits home on, and, and he says, you know, he goes, military at one time had it figured out. Military, we went into battle as a unit, and we came out as a battle. We might lose a guy sometimes, but we still came out as a whole unit. Um, cops go in as an individual. They come out as an individual, and then they go on to that next call, back in, back out. And they do that, and they do that, and they do that. And, and he really attributed some of the, the mental health and law enforcement to... That, and then that clicked with me. That made a lot of sense. He said, same thing. Firemen don't, he goes, not that firemen don't deal with traumas. Not that firemen don't have some PTSD from what they do. But again, firemen go in as a group. They come out as a group. And he goes, we've got to get more into a go in as a group, come out as a group mentality. Even if you're in a small jurisdiction where you're the only one working, there's got to be that group mentality. Because there's there's a lot of power in numbers, especially when things aren't going good.
2: Well, and being held accountable by your peers seems to resonate a little bit better. I mean, sometimes it, and it depends on the person too, but I think if, if you have another person that's been through the shit the same way that you're sorry, the crap, the same way that you have,
1: (laughs) (laughs) obviously you work for me for four years. Sorry, Kevin. Um, anyway, uh, if you've,
2: if you've been through, if you've been through that stuff together and, you know, I look at you and I say like, Hey man, I'm noticing this change in you or I, or whatever. And you can kind of call each other out. Um, it seems to maybe go a little bit better, but that's tough. I mean, we talked, we've talked about tough conversations and I will tell you when you get a bunch of people that are type A that like, let's face it. Uh, any cop that's listening to this will agree with me, but when you show up on scene and you handle it and you've handled a situation, your way is the way and it's the best way. And it, which is interesting to me because we can talk people down on a domestic all day long, you know, we'll get everybody to calm down and stuff. But then when we go home, we can't handle our own domestic issues. sometimes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and you say that, you know,
1: the closer you are to somebody the, the harder it is to have those conversations, you know, you know, your last podcast you talked about going through a divorce those things make it harder because you're that much closer with that person so those conversations are are hard to have
2: you know well and then trying to get trying to get your spouse on board with understanding the why is kind of tough as well and and the buy-in on that of of you know for me whenever that that stuff happened you know i i've I've said on the podcast before you know i kind of shut down and like let me have my time to decompress but you know my kids didn't get that my kids didn't understand that And and that's also why I'm such a hard ass sometimes, um, especially now that you know I, I've been promoted to a leadership position of of pulling people aside or having tough conversations with them because I'm like I watched what some you know poor actions or poor tactics have done to this community and to my kids because I had to respond to that and what you just did could have started that all over again and I don't want to do that with my family or my kids again.
1: Tough conversations are important, though, because there's so many times, you know, in in a leadership position. And the longer you're in a leadership position, you're going to figure this out, too, that you go in and you can be really disappointed or upset or mad at at a staff member for a decision they made. But once you get their point of perspective of why they made that decision and the situation they were in, you're like, okay, that makes sense.
2: Well, and I never felt as if I ever had to worry i guess about the decisions i was making as long as i was making them with some like lev- levity yeah. or you know yeah. common sense yeah. you know where i had to worry or i felt like i needed to ask your permission it's kind of like you said you've given me a gun and literally empowered me with the ability to take a life if i meet certain you know criteria under the law in case law mm-hmm. but uh, like some agencies literally you have to request permission to arrest someone like, and, and I never felt any of that kind of stuff or to, you know, like I couldn't ticket this person because they, I'm assuming tw-
0: those are like smaller agencies. Those are bigger no, no. agencies. I say, They're and big agencies. Bigger, yeah.
2: Like you have to ask a sergeant permission to arrest them. If someone. I would
0: have ever been in that
1: position, I wouldn't have made it 22 <laughs> years. I was going to say, man, I, I couldn't do that. No, I couldn't either. I couldn't do that.
2: I mean, that'd be like, that'd be like you saying, Hey dad, um, I want to buy some hemp seed. Is that okay? Can I buy some hemp seed? Like yeah. that would be that, that, that's what it's tantamount yeah. to <laughs> exactly that's, see you you know exactly what i can tell about yeah, your body no, language I, I understand where you come from and
0: that's, <laughs> i mean and so much can happen in that time to get that permission you know
2: yep so one thing i want to broach into that we haven't really hit on the podcast much is in the letter that you wrote to me you talked about um how you didn't understand how people could get through this job without having some sort of an understanding of christianity or of of a you know, I guess some higher power, some sort of a religious belief. And so how did, how did that kind of help you throughout your career? I mean,
1: you know, again, I I think you, you know, life's about balance. Um, to me, you know, I'm not one of those people that's always real vocal about my faith. Hopefully I lead or show by example. Most of the time, um, I know sometimes I don't, I think we all as humans get into that situation, but, you know, I think life really is about that balance. You know, you got to be, you know, uh, strong spiritually, mentally, and physically to be well-rounded. You know, you talked about your, your trip and feeling gross when you got back. You know, I get in that position now. You know, think about the fact, how do you feel when you get back from a conference after a week, Nick? You're right. out of the gym. Yeah. You eat like crap. Yeah. There's beverages in the hospitality room. You feel like crap when you get back. This job I'm in now, I could do three conferences in a row you know, so I've had to learn to change the way I live when I'm at those. I can't act like I'm still a cop that finally got away (laughs) every time I go to a conference, you know, I've got to take care of myself to feel well, you know, And, and the way I feel comes out on the way I respond to situations, the way I respond with coworkers, with clients, with, with whoever I'm dealing with, you know, so, you know, so much of that plays into to all that, you know, there's, I really do feel it, you know, that spiritually, mentally, and physically, you've got to be strong or at least balanced in those.
2: Well, and I think the key to that is, is also actively pursuing each one of Absolutely. those. Um, you know, cause it, let's face it, you can, you can be at home every day and you can do like hip thrusts and it's like, I got my workout yeah. in, you know, but, yeah. and it's the same thing. It's the same thing like with church or whatever of, of you know, actively pursuing either making it to a bi- Bible studies or whatever to kind of fill in those gaps of, cause let's face it, this, this world doesn't make sense. I no. mean, uh, especially, you know, when we, when we, it's easy to get into sometimes when you, when you see deaths on, on the street and you're like, why did this person die? But this person kind of gets to live. That's easy for your brain to go to yep. and want to make sense of. Then uh, I think it helps, even though I think, Scripture sometimes gives you more questions than it gives you answers. Yeah. But there's a lot of really cool things that I think gives it a lot of levity, that gives it a lot of ways to, to, to live your life, to, to want to do things, to also give what I think is missing from some of our profession of giving love and grace in certain instances to certain people. One thing that I always loved bringing up a thing about you and your administration style was when it came to the kids, uh, and we were dealing with them at the school and stuff. You were always like, listen, you know, I, I firmly believe that we should make this a parenting issue first. You know, we shouldn't be arresting this kiddo for their, you know, first time. Like, of course, if the kiddo has multiple issues, right. then okay, we're going to have to intervene. But of giving that love and that grace and, and realizing of what God not only had for a marriage, but also for parents and parenting children. And I'll give that parent that opportunity to handle that situation first prior to them quote unquote going in the system. And so I think it gives a good rule and guide. Uh, and that's something to, you know to life.
1: that's something you you know things are things are evolving. Everything evolves law enforcement.
2: In in the 22
1: years I was in it was a completely different profession that I got out of than I went into back in 1999. I mean, things were completely different. You know, um you would have been frowned upon if you would even talked about Mental health and law enforcement back then. We were expected to suck it up, suck it up buttercup and move on. You know, I can, I can tell you early on in my career, I remember my wife waking me up. Of course, she didn't understand. I wasn't telling her what I was dealing with, but you know, you talk about those traumas. I had, I had, uh, two suicides and a fatal accident, a stretch of a four day work week and waking up and I'm having nightmares and I didn't know I was having nightmares, but she's waking me up going, (laughs) <laughs> What's going on with you, man? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that old school mentality was some of what I think got that hard edge. And I, I recognized that early on in my career that I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be that calloused.
0: Is that something you guys can take back and talk to your partners, significant others about?
2: I can now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. 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 Um, I would say when I first started, I always had that thought process. Me personally, I don't know if you share the same, but of this is not their burden to bear. I'm not going to bring this home to them. I'm not going to weigh them down with this. I'm not going to tell them about this because that's not their weight to bear. They, they didn't sign on for this job. I did. They didn't get dispatched to that call. I did. Um so I I I used to do it that way. And
1: it was frowned frown on upon it, at one time it was frowned upon in the profession to yeah to take that stuff home. Yeah. You know it's, it's not so much anymore, you know we're we're getting when these critical things happen. We're we're understanding that the family's dealing with it too, and, and we're getting those debriefings with the family and for the kids, and, and making that stuff available now. But if that didn't used to be the case.
2: Well, they say it takes a village, right? I mean, yeah. when it comes, I mean,
0: I feel like it helps your spouse know better understand like your actions at home, and you could communicate that better.
2: Well, but I think that can really translate. I mean, it's not. I mean, for instance, if 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 I deal with like a kid like say like an under 18 kid for some reason like that, that is protected. That's not something like I can talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are certain things you can't talk about, but I think this can translate really into even your private industry. Like you're like, let's just say, you know, I got this guy, Jim Bob that I'm working with and he's frustrating me. Like you can say to yourself, like, I'm not going to talk to my spouse about that. That's not right. her burden to bear. That's not her way. It doesn't matter the industry. Um, it just depends on, uh, uh, how you perceive it and what what you want to talk about and what you want to bring home and I think that's kind of some of the, the things that we're trying to hurdle past but it's like sometimes I feel these conversations that we're having you know we are like a needle in a haystack of you know us you know we we've gotten messages from people like they're like thank you so much you know you had a gentleman come up to you in the gym that you know had tears in his eyes Nate and said thanks for the podcast i really needed to hear that but it's like well, we, we're dealing <laughs> yeah no kidding <laughs> we're dealing we're dealing with all this but we're like a needle in a haystack of trying to change those mindsets cuz there've been a couple of people i've asked on the podcast and kind of told them what we talk about and then they're like uh no 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 <laughs> yeah. like not happening I'm not talking about yeah. that whatsoever so what what are some of the changes i guess that you saw i mean cuz cuz i i personally believe you, when you talk about that balance some of that old school cop With the new school is the way to do it. It is. If if you are just in the old way, the old school, like you, you're probably going to be getting lots of complaints and in trouble and not effectively doing your job. But if you if you're all you're doing is being a new school cop and all you're doing is TikTok dance videos on then you're probably not doing a good job either. I can so. say in
1: 22 years, I never did a dance on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> as much pressure as there was. There was never a TikTok dance out
2: of this chief of police. Hey, we, we got asked. I remember us. getting yeah. Tagged on. Yeah. Tagged on Facebook yep, many like, times nope. asking. I think nope. I
1: tried to throw some of you guys under the bridge and say, if they want to do it, but not me. No, no not no. me. Yeah. No.
2: But like, what are some of the, I guess, the changes that you noticed that made you kind of decide, uh, enough was enough for you.
1: You know, just like I was talking about with that breach point training we did when he's saying, I'm not talking to you guys, I'm just telling you the story of my life. You know, um, I I think all of us in the room, anytime we listen to somebody like that talk, we realize he's not telling the story of his life. He's telling the story of the profession's
2: life Amen.
1: because, uh, we've all been there. If, If we're really being honest and admitting it to ourselves, we've all been there and it's, you know, his vice, he talks about that he's turning to is alcohol. You know, next guy it might be a different addiction that they're turning to, but everybody has that unhealthy thing that they've turned to that uh, isn't isn't uh, obviously the right answer. And
2: I can you know, I can remember coming home from some calls of, you know, one one guy was like curled up and dead, and and it just I just came home, finished off the bottle like of. Of that alcohol that day, just be it to like to sleep. I mean, it's, it's definitely yeah, a prevalent I've, thing. I've, I've done
1: it. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, so I guess I, I started doing more training, more research into, uh, you know, uh, critical incidents and how it works, you know, the psychology of it, the, uh, you know, the chemistry of the brain and how the brain reacts to those traumas and and really tried to make it a point in my life so I could lead by example of, you know, I, I think every time we debriefed on those and said, guys, I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but science says, you know, this amount of time before you have alcohol. Try to think about that. Yep. Make sure you get a few sleep cycles in I before you' There's times
2: I definitely didn't follow that.
1: You know, <laughs> I can honestly say after I started preaching that to you guys. I followed it, but there were times earlier in my career I didn't follow it either. So, yeah.
2: Yep. Well, it's just like, uh, just like the faith, like we're not all perfect. Yep. <laughs> we're not all going to do everything exactly Amen. the way we're supposed to. Yep. Um, so, so, uh, so you've kind of had also a, a little bit of a mental renaissance since you've kind of tried to put it down. You, you were talking to me, uh, at Applebee's of when you finally did make that decision, like I'm going to do it, you were kind of saying, I'm either going to do it. In ten years or twenty years, yeah. I mean, like this day is coming. Yeah,
1: it, 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 it for police work, you know. Um, I think any profession there's that that camaraderie with your coworkers. It becomes a part of who you are. Um, you know, just like Nate, if he decided to get out of construction tomorrow, that doesn't mean people aren't going to stop calling him to do jobs on the side. Yeah, they, they identify <laughs> him as a construction worker. He's still going to get those calls. You know that still happens to me. I still have people. I want, I need your opinion on this. I'm like, I don't want to give opinions anymore. I'm out. I <laughs> I'm got out so don't have to do that anymore.
2: <laughs> what you need to do is you start need to have them sign a contract, and they, you can bill them hourly. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have like your own.
1: You know, I was, I was at business. a consulting business. I was at one of my facilities here a while back, and they lost their IT guy while well, I was trying to deal with a networking issue on some of our equipment in there. And they told me they lost my soul. Who's handling the IT stuff? So I can, you know, try to talk to them about it. Like, yeah, well, he's still on contract, you know, basically. I'm like, man, I should have done something wrong. Cause right after that funny thing, I remember, I think it was Sarge actually called me with a question on where to find something in the office. I'm like,
2: why didn't I get a consulting <laughs> fee in this? Well, that's <laughs> what John Sweet did in Lions, yeah, you know, when yeah. he was on his way. Like, I, mean, I guess like,
1: maybe I should have went for a consulting fee when I got out. But yeah, see, no, you know, it's one of those deals. It It, it is your identity. Um, Twenty two years is a long time to do anything and and I I came to that crossroad where I thought, this day's gonna come. You know, I don't wanna be the guy remembered because I worked until the day I died and didn't take any downtime from the profession. Um, when I got into it I had every intention of doing it for a career. You know, on capers at the age I got in, that's at least thirty two years in. You know, I was twenty two years in and at the point I got out. I still had ten to go. Um, before I really planned on, I had every intention when I moved to Sterling, Kansas, I was going to retire as the chief of police of Sterling. Um, Up until the owner of the company contacted me, that was probably a strong possibility. That was going to happen. I I wasn't looking for this job. It definitely was presented to me at the right time. Uh, Good Lord works in mysterious ways sometimes. And, you know, I I did go through that identity crisis and, and had to process through that.
2: I remember getting your phone call. I can remember exactly where I was standing. I was in the kitchen of my house and I was like, and you and you told him, you know, Hey, I'm, I've submitted my resignation. I'm like, uh, what? It Uh, okay. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like,
1: I, I'm one of those guys. I'm not going to try to go out with a big hurrah. I'm going to, I, I, you know, I had a, had a few weeks to process it before I finally ultimately made the decision. And it was one of those deals that, you know, I was going to make my decision based off of what was in front of me um you know i wasn't going to go in and say hey i've been offered this job um
2: yeah give me more money or give I me quit. more money
1: or i'm gonna quit yeah you know um that wasn't what it was about it was about it was about this time to be it was time
2: well and you're you're also you know home well i mean i guess it's a busy time for you now you yeah said it's like conference <laughs> since time. first
1: of well since first of the year i <laughs> I feel like Sterling is not even the place I sleep the most anymore.
2: <laughs> well, I'm actually really appreciate you like getting the time to come here and do this. I mean, I know that this has actually been a
1: good week for me. I've actually uh, slept in my own bed all week this week. So,
2: <laughs> Well, and then they gave you like your a brand new truck and like yeah. every tool you could possibly think of. So, yeah. I mean, at least the nice thing is they set you up for success yeah, they, from the they work did.
1: go. They did. All I- right. I'd known the owner of this company for about 10 years. We were actually his first contract in the state of Kansas when he expanded into Kansas. And, and so I got to be friends with him. I was, you know, I tried to be hands on with as an administrator. If, if I could get something done instead of standing over the top watching a technician work inside my office, I'd rather just do it myself. And so, you know, it's one of those deals. I'm like, just send me a, you know, I'd tell this guy that owned this company, you know, we'd have a broken phone back in the gym, just send another phone. And if I can't figure it out, I'll call you and ask you, you know, and, and so that's kind of how I, how I ended up in this. And, you know, before I came to Sterling, he'd actually talked to me about it and said, if you ever decide to get out, give me a call. And, you know, there's, there's a spot somewhere in our company for you. And so, um, you know, you, you talk about timing, um, the night, October of 2020, um, night that Corey Ryan got shot Well, we went right before we went live on the news, uh, uh, chief Holl- holiday asked me to take over public information officer duties for the, for the city Alliance and for the Alliance police department. And right before we went on, on air that night, I was actually told they weren't sure if Corey was going to make it. And, uh, I think everybody that watched that interview that night saw, I probably didn't hold it together very well, but, uh, the state of Kansas got, uh, got the raw side of Derek, and, and I went back and watched. I look like hell, but I should have at that point. I think we all did.
0: I don't think anybody would expect anything different. And,
1: uh, you know, they, they, they saw me at probably my most – that was probably my most raw, vulnerable point in my career. And the owner of the company actually texted me while I, that interview was happening. He was watching the interview down in Texas and this text me basically checking in on me and i didn't even see it till the next day and i actually called him back the next day after i saw the text and and he said something the effect of are you ready to be done with this crap yet and i said i'm getting closer yeah you know i'm, I'm getting closer uh, and he goes no i'm being serious i uh, you know i goes i'm I'm expanding i need somebody in kansas first quarter of next year we're going to be going to be making some big changes in the company and i'd like you to be part of that growth and, so it was right about a year ago, last, last March, him and I met, um, it still took some time cause it was over a month later before I finally decided, you know, we'd work things out and I decided this is, this is what's best for my family at this time, you know, and it's just like anything else, you know, it's there, there's pros and cons to everything you do in life. You know, there's, there's things I miss now that I wasn't missing before, but there's things I'm able to be there for and be present for that I wasn't before. So. There's sacrifices in everything you do.
2: What are some What are some things from the job that you do truly miss? As far as the camaraderie um, with the guys, um,
1: you know some some people that get out of it talk about the fact of not knowing what's going on drives them nuts. You hear sirens, and I'm like, you know, I'm one of those guys. <laughs> I guess I probably went administration too young. I was 32 years old when I promoted to under sheriff. I don't know that I was ready for it. Looking back. Um, truly if I, if I'm honestly self-reflecting, I did some stupid stuff early on, you know, I still let things, uh, become a little too personal with the way I dealt with some, some personnel at times. And I think the burden of administration was wearing on me. Um, you know, I, I was one of those guys, I never wanted to shut myself off to my employees, and when you're in a job that's operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by truly not shutting yourself off means my phone was never shut off. If I was on vacation, I told these guys, and I expected phone calls from them if they needed anything, and they called me. You know, I never
2: truly <laughs> was ever off. Well, but I, th- I think that, and, and I've told you this, and this is just my personal uh, spin on it, was there was enough respect there that you had garnered with me that when it came to that kind of stuff, I'd pretty much exhausted every other option prior to calling him. It wasn't just a, hey, I got this question about this mundane thing. You know, I'd exhausted other options first. And then also realizing how many irons you had in the fire of all the stuff that you had going on of just trying to keep as much stuff off your desk as possible and handle it.
1: That's one thing that changed too, though. I mean, even when I started out 10 years prior to getting out in administration, we still didn't care that much about what our city – or you know, our County legal advisor thought about the way we handled things in the world we've lived in. Now the job is completely focused or we, we rely heavily on, on that stuff. You guys relied on us to be able to get that answer that you needed to make sure your butt wasn't in the middle of a lawsuit when you're out on the street. And that, that became very important because so much case law changed and it evolved so rapidly that it was hard for any of us to keep up with some of that stuff.
2: Well, that was another thing. I mean, when it came to policy, And, you know, case law and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you were constantly updating policy or asking for input on updating policy or like, hey, we got that that memo from the attorney general's, or excuse me, the United States attorney's office about the video camera stuff of like, what do you guys think? It wasn't just a, you know, I mean, you kept up on all of that stuff on top of personnel, on top of, you know, the 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 commission and the city manager's expectations of you on top of the community's expectations of on top of, you know, and I could, I could keep going and going. And Part going. of that's
1: my own fault though. I, I, I this does personality wise. I shoulder way too much. I, I do it. I do it in the job I'm in now. I shoulder responsibility where it's not always mine to shoulder and, and that's but just, I'm
2: sure your boss is like, thank you so much. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> well, I don't know. Nate would, Nate would appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> probably said every time I hang up the phone, he's probably like,
1: damn, he's OCD.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you did make me smile when you sent me that uh – uh uh, picture of the cables that you were making, those patch yeah. cables. You did yeah. make me smile on that. Yeah. It's a, I yeah. Like, it's oh, a, he's thinking of me. It's a, <laughs> he made, he was making, he was actually making the cabling for like, you know, like ethernet cables, basically. Mm-hmm. And he'd figured out how to do it and was practicing it and made some patch cables that he could use to test things at work and stuff like that.
1: And, yeah. The, the camaraderie uh, of the job, you know, cause there is, like I said, you know, my story earlier, there's, there's a lot of fun times in the job too. And, and there were all the way to the end. But sometimes it just it it gets to where when you do something so long it gets overshadowed, um, and that's again that's your own mind messing with you sometimes with some of that overshadowing and
2: and. Well, I uh, speaking of the good times and the things it was when you can have your boss, who is on his way basically out the proverbial door. And you go to get out of your patrol car and it's still in reverse and you get out of your patrol car and it starts to slowly roll back towards the building and you're trying to get back into said patrol car. I'm speaking of me, by the way, uh, and you trip and fall on and you're laying on your back as the car continues to slowly roll before it impacts the building. And in this guy right here, first of all, he's laughing at me that's the first
1: after, after I made sure he wasn't hurt I thought the car ran him over at <laughs> he, first he's laughing <laughs>
2: he's okay he's laughing at me as he's asking if I'm okay. <laughs> And and then he's like, Seriously, bro? He's like, You can't wait till I'm gone? Like, come on, man. Like, and I don't exactly have the best track record when it comes to vehicles, so And then was, he
1: looks at me and goes, I just turned in my application I, for chief of police. I like, did literally just <laughs> turned it in. I turned
2: it in like an hour or two before this instance. So Oops. of course the city manager's gonna see this and you know that was taken into account when you know I was told I wasn't gonna get the job. But uh hindsight's always 2020
1: yes it is (laughs) if i could just figure that out and look ahead of that i'd be in better shape
0: i think we all would (laughs) yeah
2: do you have any uh final thoughts questions anything
0: i don't Um, have much
2: well uh i think we can be a good point to kind of wrap it up and just want to say thanks for coming on the podcast i appreciate it i've been
1: been enjoying your podcast and
2: now you're going to go on your this next. This will
1: probably be the first one I don't listen to. <laughs> My wife was actually nervous about me coming on.
2: <laughs> well, why is that, Jessica? Is part, there a problem?
1: Part of it is that she's one of those people that she doesn't like to talk to people in a like a scripted. That's uh, per se environment. So,
2: so what you're saying is we need to have Jessica on the podcast. Yeah, you need to have Jessica on the podcast. Ah. And
1: then number two is. We could talk
2: about all their books and everything. I have and- been
1: very, very, very blessed. Um, she bought into the law enforcement stuff. She supported me 100% depend, regardless of if I was staying in or getting out of law enforcement. You know, it was very much a, this is a decision you need to make. Um, when I got out. So she was very supportive of my career. But she was also a very good police administrator's wife because she was one of those people that would sit at home and see what people were posting on Facebook, you know, derogatory cop stuff. And it's always just let it go, you know. So she's been well versed in being a cop's wife for long enough that, you know, that mentality of be quiet and don't say anything that's going to, you know. (laughs) So so the whole idea of a podcast scared the hell
2: out of her. (laughs) Well, you don't have to worry about it now. You're good to go. no. I mean, within reason. I think she's
1: afraid that I might actually get more vocal in life. She's probably afraid that everybody's going to see what actually comes out of my mouth. <laughs> That's probably what she's most scared of. The things that she sees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she knows what the reality is.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I have to admit, the few times that I've, you know, actually had an at length po- uh, conversation with her, it's been really cool. Like all the books that she reads, yeah. and I mean, the things. Yeah, I'm, that, I'm
1: quite the, I'm not reader. I listen to a lot. Yeah, of them. I, I got, I, I got plenty of recommendations, but uh, yeah. now. On top of Nick got me started on it, but uh she loves that because Nick sent me all of those, and <laughs> well,
2: she also encouraged
1: that. I think part of it is though it's not that I didn't like to read, but in law enforcement administration, you spend all day reading the yep. most boring dry you know policy. supreme <laughs> policy supreme court uh case reviews and briefings and and that kind of stuff. And when you're literally reading state statute for a day for eight hours, the last thing I wanted to do was go open a book and read for fun.
2: Yeah. That'd be like saying you're a computer programmer at work and then you want to come home and sit on your computer and like, play video games all day. It's like I look at a computer screen all day.
0: Or you work construction and then go do a side job for construction in the evenings. Well, hey,
2: that's, man. That's why there's always unfinished projects at Carpenter's
1: houses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: well, that makes a whole lot Constant of sense. Constant construction. <laughs> that's actually
1: a funny story. When Dad first got into law enforcement, uh, they were working a case that was kind of one of those fly-by-night guys came in after a storm and was you know getting money off of people and then never showing back up, and they found out who the guy was. Well, dad had just gotten out of construction into law enforcement. So, you know, this guy was claiming to be a siding guy and sighting on our house looked like crap. I mean, it needed, re- I mean, it needed recited, you know, typical carpenter never went home and worked on his own stuff, you know? <laughs> and so they're trying to figure out how to kind of get this guy in to, to get him baited and stuff, you know, so they go through that whole deal. Well, dad plays the customer. Huh? He was like. This could be pretty obvious. I need new siding. I'll get the guy down here, and they actually end up getting the, they actually end up getting the guy down there, and and end up arresting the guy. That's freaking awesome. Yeah.
2: <laughs> See, you you have a uh, a job in law enforcement at some point. You can be an undercover agent.
0: <laughs> Send me to school. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Yeah.
2: Uh, all right. Well, um, again, just thanks for taking time out of your yeah. day and out of your week to be here. Problem. And, and, uh, it's, it's been great. And, you know, and we've, we've had many a conversation. This definitely isn't our first one. And, uh, but it's been cool to sit down at length and just discuss a couple of different things and hopefully it can help other people or help other law enforcement officers or other people that even may be making that decision for a career change of maybe not, maybe now's the time. You yeah. Know?
1: And I hate that, man. The last thing I want to do is to get the good ones getting out. Yeah. You know,
2: there is still guilt. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there you, there you go, shoulder and things that... You got to do what's best for you. Yeah. 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 But Not man, something I, you can necessarily yeah. control. Yep. So, all right, everyone. Thank you for taking the opportunity to join us on the podcast. Uh, we're looking for a few more ratings and reviews. It really helps us and it helps boost the podcast where people can see it. Uh, don't hesitate to send us any questions or comments or anything that you want to hear on the podcast or... Uh, just let us know. We've heard a lot of feedback from people that say the podcast has helped. And again, we're truly humbled and grateful by this. And we're grateful that people like Derek can come on here and share their stories and help out and just continue this message of just having great conversations with people. And we hope that this uh, continues for a really long time and appreciate you being here with us. We'll catch up with you guys next time. See you later.